Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Bill. How are you, mate? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I don't know if you saw it, but the the last message I sent you before the text today, I'd completely forgotten I'd sent it. Uh, in 2016, there's a picture of you and Josh and Aisha from the Kenneths at a pub in Camden, and that must have been after you played at the... Oh, wow. I totally remember that when we were hanging out. I completely remember that. It was after I think Black Flag had played at the Underworld, and you'd come over and met us like literally straight after the show. Oh yeah, me and Josh and Asia. Yeah. Wild. Nice. <laughs> I just opened it back up. I mean, I saved it back then. I have it on my photo roll. Yeah, I I really I really like them a lot. I I still keep up with with them. I, in fact, I talked to Josh just the other day. And uh, Aisha, I talked to her about a month ago, I guess. Nice. Well, she was doing some amazing stuff before live music and everything shut down. She was out on the road with Hans Zimmer, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. I actually, she she and I both had a same day off in Vienna, Austria uh, a couple years ago when she was on that tour. And I was on tour with maybe Descendants or Flag. And so we hung out the whole day on our day off. Yeah. She told me all about it what it's like to be touring on that big level like that. 
Because I never knew, I never know, you know, I don't know much about that. <laughs> I don't think many people do. That is like next level, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good people they are. And so, Bill, that night would have been the first time I saw you play drums. And never in my life, I don't think before or since, have I seen anybody have as much fun as, as you seem to have on the drums. Um, you looked like you were in your element. And when I saw you with Descendants last summer as well, when we nearly spoke then, um, again, just like a look of just absolute pure joy from start to end are you, are you in a place well obviously at the moment no um because of covid and stuff but forget about that for a minute before that were you in a place where every show you play you're just absolutely loving it and in your element i i mean it might sound kind of corny or cliche to to say it but yes yes i i um i just i, I don't know a lot of things in the last couple of years have mm -hmm. kind of uh turned around for me in a way that that I'm just very I'm just very happy most of the time and also I just think I, I'm I'm also I'm just I'm starting to just enjoy being up there playing in front of people uh, as opposed to most of my life I spent like having a lot of stage fright uh, and like a lot of nervousness a lot of stage fright a lot of insecurity a lot of like sort of feeling as if I don't really deserve to be playing in front of people or something like that. I don't, I don't really know, but I just kind of worked it all out to where, to where now I'm, I'm happy in that environment instead of it being more like, more like some kind of struggle or some kind of competition. I, I guess it's hard to explain it. Could, could I pause one second? Just one second. Of course, man. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. Sorry about that. No, don't be sorry at all. Give me a chance to brew my tea. Well, you actually, Bill, you sent me, when we were talking over email, you, you sent me an email and you said in that that, you know, in your life, as much as on stage, you're the happiest you've, you've ever been as well. Um, is that still true? Is that still the case, despite obviously the, the awful situation that's going on worldwide? Have you managed to hold on to your, your happiness and your positivity over the last sort of six to eight months? I have. I, I mean, it, if, you, if this stays how it is for another year, then I will be completely out of money and broke. And then, then I will be, you know, unhappy about that. But no, I've been thriving actually. I've been uh, using the time very productively. We, you know, we produced the new Rise Against record. Uh, we've we've got we've got two two new Descendants records coming down the pike now. One one uh, one uh, kind of a current new material that that we're working on now, and then another one that was from the original lineup from way, way, way back in the very beginning. Amazing. Kind of like, kind of like uh, our first songs we ever, ever played together, but they never got recorded because we were so young and we didn't really know how to play back then. <laughs> but we got together a while back and we, the original line, and we actually recorded all those old original songs in a, in a real studio. So, and then this, so th this year I've taken the time to get those all, I get get everything done on those and Milo got the vocals done and we mixed it and everything so and then I've, I've been mixing records and I've just been 
I've been just keeping myself good. I've, I've been on a real good uh, nutrition thing and also exercising. So I would say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happier than I've ever been, but, and I'm also maybe I'm probably healthier and stronger than I've been in about 20 years, I would say. I'm really happy to hear that, Bill. For my own comparative terms, you know, me, me compared to me, I'm, I'm, I feel really good, real healthy, real strong and, and real happy. Do you think, if you don't mind me asking this, because I had a fairly serious health scare myself about seven years ago where I fractured my spine and it was it was uncertain whether or not I would would would, 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 would it would excuse me would walk again. Um, and when I was lying there in hospital, I was in hospital for three months, and that gives you a lot of time to think. And I think when you go through something that puts the the nature and the meaning and the significance and the fragility and the beauty of life into perspective, I think if you come out of it, if you're lucky enough to come out of it, it gives you a whole new lease of life and gratitude and. Do you think that was a part of it with you after the two things that you went through back to back? Do you think after that, that sort of reset you in a way that gave you a whole new focus and lust for life? Yeah, those sorts of life events, they tend to do that. I had my my huge pulmonary embolism in 2010 and also the the brain surgery, the brain tumor in 2010. But then I also, in 2015, I, I had an open heart surgery and open lung surgery as well to remove that pulmonary embolism that it never resolved. So they had to go in and into my lungs and take it out. Uh, and, and also I had a, what's called a triple bypass, uh, open heart surgery. And then in 2017, I had to have radiation on my brain, uh, because a little tiny bit of that brain tumor had grown up against my optic nerve and was starting to affect my vision. So it wasn't, it wasn't a brain surgery, but I had to have radiation every day for about a month and a half. And, and that kind of, that, that really hurt me. I was really low energy taking naps all the time and stuff, but I, I've bounced back from all that stuff and I, I feel great. And I'm, yeah, I mean, it sounds corny to say it, but yeah, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be able to give my son a hug in the morning or to hang out with my daughter or whatever it is. Yeah, I think that's what's been nice about lockdown as well. Um, you have to look at the positives in this situation. And for me personally, I'm sure for you and I know for a lot of other people that I know, one of the best things to come out of this period has been that time to really spend like condensed quality time with the people that you love, um, which, you know, when life is at its usual fast paced kind of way, you don't have that same opportunity to to really sit down and spend like days on end with with the people, you know, that you care about and you love. And I think it's been great for that reason. Have you had a nice time being with your family? Have you had them around throughout the whole period? Yeah, I, I really have. Uh Unfortunately, we we live in a large enough house to where we okay we're here together and we can spend plenty of quality time with each other, but the house is large enough too to where you can escape. <laughs> so even when it was when it was winter and everything was locked down, we could we could also kind of have a little bit of space between each other. But but yeah, I mean on the on the more overtly positive side, uh, 
yeah, I mean, I recorded things with, with my son playing guitar and, and singing. I recorded things with my daughter singing. Amazing. Uh, and I've been on my, been on a few like camping trips with my family and, uh, um, and uh, went backpacking twice uh, with my son out into the mountains and in, in the wilderness. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's been great, but you know, eventually I'll be broke. Yeah. You know, and then that I won't hear that. be fun. That won't be fun. But for now, it's okay. It's cool you've been busy. So I had Tim from Rise Against on this show about two years ago now, Bill, and he spoke so, so highly about you and about not just your role as a producer in, in the evolution and the story of that band, but just as a human being and as a mentor and a friend in his life. And it was such a sweet conversation that I had. And he just was full of nothing but praise and compliments and, and complete adoration for you. And it sounds like you've got an amazing relationship with that band and you've really been there with them over, you know, such an extended period of time. Now, is this new album that you've just done, is this the sixth record that you've worked on with them? Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's been 19 years with them and I honestly don't know how many albums. Let's, let's call it six. That sounds about right. It's a fair few though, uh, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It, it, we we're we're all like family. I mean, our kids play with their kids, and my daughter Maddie used to babysit um, Tim's kids, and when they were here, and we, we you know we we do things together. We we uh we're all very 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 close. And even now that they have Zach in the band, you know, I've been friends with Zach since he was in in high school. Uh, Hagfish was one of the first bands we had at the blasting room at the recording studio, you know, 25 years ago. And that Zach was in the band Hagfish. And uh, so we're just all very close. I, Joe, Joe, the bass player, he's one of my, one of my very, very closest friends in the whole world. And, and Brandon and I have a great friendship too. We all, we're all, uh, and I mean, Tim and I, Tim and I joke about it that, that it's possible that I've spent more time with him than I have with my own children. <laughs> they because are, they are kind of like your children, aren't they rise against? <laughs> I just mean, I just mean, well, I see them more as my comrades. Yeah. But, but so yeah, we, that's a, they're like family to us. Yeah. My wife and kids are, are very close with them too. It's just like, it's a big family. Yeah. What made you move out to Colorado, Bill? Uh, obviously, you grew up in kind of Los Angeles area. Um, what was the allure and the pull of Colorado? Was it just the nature and the, the more wide open space? Honestly, it was maybe not so romantic of an idea. It was almost more of a process of elimination, as boring <laughs> as that sounds. No, no. So we felt, we felt like we weren't surviving in L.A. We were sleeping in our practice room, which is the size of a garage and with no hot water, no showers and paying a lot of money. We were paying $1,200 a month for that practice room in LA. And we were just like, wow, we, we have to get out of here unless we want to just live like sardines for the rest of our lives. So we ended up, we moved to the Midwest. We moved to Missouri for four years where it was extremely low cost to live there. Uh, but then after we had been there a few years, we realized it was just too 
too desolate. It was a town of only 4,000 people. And we were just kind of in the middle of nowhere. We felt like farmers or something. Not, not there's anything wrong with farmers, but I just mean it was a little bit too culturally devoid. Yeah. So we kind of struck on Fort Collins. It was a place we had been on tour and had had fun. We had a few friends here. We knew what it was like. We enjoyed it. And it's like, okay, LA is too big and too expensive. And Brookfield, Missouri is just too small. How about Fort Collins? How about middle ground, you know? And that's kind of, that. honestly, that's how we made the decision. Yeah, sometimes it's just the practical ones. And I guess it must have been nice being in Colorado over the last six months and having the chance. I found myself falling in love a lot more with, you know, these more kind of scenic countryside areas i find that the city at the moment isn't the best place to be i moved out of london about three months ago and yeah i think being in nature at the moment is the best place to be getting out and about and amongst it i've always enjoyed it i grew up i grew up at the beach uh you know in the los angeles area hermosa beach so it was always like swimming fishing surfing boating all that stuff. Mind you, I, I was the world's worst surfer. I would always fall off, but it, I still, I just enjoyed all that stuff. I enjoy the smell of the ocean breeze and uh, being on the boats and just being walking, walking along the shoreline and all that. I love that. And I guess the mountains here and the rivers kind of, they offer a kind of a similar, I don't know, a, a relief from, uh, I don't know, the grind. <laughs> yeah, the, the the pressures and the the horrors in some cases of of urban living. You mentioned Hermosa Beach there, Bill. Obviously, it's kind of common knowledge that you um, were an employee of Keith Morris's father in the fishing shop that he had there. Um, isn't it wild that so many of those bands that would go on to define that early Californian hard kind of hardcore punk rock scene? You were basically all just neighbors, right? It was just like a small community of friends and all the bands knew each other. And was that the way it was? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean if you if you localize it to just Black Flag, Pennywise, The Last, The Descendants, if you localize it to just those bands, that's, that's all, that is all within a two square mile radius. Everybody wow. lived, in, yeah. And everybody went to the same high school, but at different times, you know, like Pennywise went there after we did and, and Black Flag went there before we did. Well, no, no, Fletcher was in, he was there when I was there. He was just, they were a little younger, you know, but yeah. But so yeah, all really all in that same area. And then if you expand a little broader to include the Minutemen and Sacred Trust and, uh, Oh, I'm I'm drawing a blank right now, but then that's just down to like Long Beach and San Pedro and Gardena and Carson and stuff. So that's still that's still a really small area. And TSOL and bands like that, they were Long Beach, weren't they? That was more Orange County, I do believe, like uh, like Huntington, Costa Mesa, I do believe. As a young kid growing up, what was the importance of punk to you? Like, how did that? culture that music that scene impact your life on a personal level in terms of how it changed your mindset and your interactions with other people in the world around you and and everything really was punk the light bulb moment for you it certainly was it it 
it didn't start that way because it started with me just trying to find something that that could that could satisfy me the kind of guitars I like which you can hear them on mainly like on Black Sabbath records or some some Kiss records or you know some Aerosmith records like those kind of guitars and I just couldn't find other music that had that for me but then the Ramones man they had it you know the Ramones are like you take Black Sabbath's Paranoid but you supercharge it with a bunch of coffee <laughs> and then you got then you got Ramones and I was like oh man so I I kind of fell in love with that the music of it first and then once I started going to the shows uh, my the, the Frank or Frank or some of the guys would drive we get someone to drive us up to Hollywood and we go you could go see you could go see like for five bucks you could see the Go-Go's X the Weirdos the Screamers the Germs like all at once all of them for five bucks stuff like that and I and and it was like there was only a hundred people there or something and I felt like wow wow man this is like so much energy here and so much just this is so different than anything I've ever seen and it was like then it just lit it just lit my life on fire and I I just uh I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I had found this this like hidden thing that not that many people knew about. It was so so amazing to be part of that. Or even just to witness it. And then in I mean to to a certain extent the descendants are part of it, but we you know we were a little bit later than those first first bands. But it was just so amazing, such a wonderful energy. Yeah, that initial LA punk scene with I guess the germs and fear and, and those kind of groups like what an exciting time for music and what an exciting time for for la as well how, how old were you when you were going to those shows were you very much still like a teenager a young kid 14 15 yeah and it was just i mean it blew my mind i i couldn't and the other thing too is i didn't really have any good friends that i sort of cared about much there was acquaintances at the beach or acquaintances fishing, but I, did, I really didn't have any friends. And once we started the band, I, it was like I felt like I finally had some close friends that could be sort of my 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 brothers. And that and and then I felt like when I went to the punk shows, in the beginning it was definitely this way. I felt like I had a family. I had a whole family there. Um, once it got popular, the the content of the audience kind of changed a lot of this. It started out, it was more artists and freaks and people that didn't have anywhere to belong. But then once it got more popular, like maybe around the time that movie, the decline of Western civilization came out, once it got more popular then there were more like jocks and meatheads and kind of idiots got into it. But I mean, even still, then, then I felt like that pushed me out back out into the fringes because, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel as as familial then. But in the beginning, man, it was so it was so cool to be part of that. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing about that. It's more than just a genre for me. And I had a very similar experience. And everybody that I've spoken to that comes from an even remotely punk background, it's always about that community for people. I think, isn't it that as, that aspect to it where you're looking for somewhere 
to just belong and, and be a part of a like-minded group of people that look out for each other. And it seems like that's what punk did for so many people. That's what it gave to so many people. You know, whether that was on the US or even here in the UK, that seems to me to be the kind of common thread. And I love that about punk. Yeah, punk rock saved me from being a lonely, miserable uh, probably would have become like an attorney or an accountant or something like that. <laughs> Just, I have that kind of brain that could do those sorts of things. Uh, I just would have been miserable. Did you get on and, well at school, Bill? Were you, were you a good student? Did you get good grades or were you not that? Yes, in- I was. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yeah. I mean, I quit college halfway through because like, I could have kept going to college and just been in the Descendants and not Descendants weren't really a touring band back then, but Black Flag kind of kept needing me. Yeah, well, that's a good position uh, to be in, right? <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I started touring, and then I kind of never went back to to college. Well, talking of college, how do you and Milo first meet? Wasn't he a fan of Descendants before he was in the band? Is that right? It's it's funny. He would um he would come to our practices, especially when we practiced at the church, the condemned church building, where um where because uh, that was really close to all our houses, so we I could just ride my bike to practice or walk. I could walk to practice, and Milo would just show up there and watch us practice. And then even when the church got like shut down and we and we had to start practicing down in Long Beach, then he would call me and ask me to come pick him up and bring him to practice. And he would just come to practice and sit there and watch us. And it was a funny thing. Frank and Tony really, they didn't want to continue to have to play and sing at the same time. And they were, and Milo secretly wanted to be our singer. But neither of us knew. Like Milo didn't know that we that we wanted to have a singer, and we didn't know that Milo wanted to be our singer. But he was just always there. And I remember Frank one day. He just goes. He just goes. Fuck this, Milo. You sing, and that was it. <laughs> you say in the documentary that when Frank left the band, he just like poured all his belongings into like a bin of some kind, set it on fire and drove off to Oregon. Is that right? <laughs> that is correct. That is absolutely correct. Frank had turned into quite the man of extremes. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about an exit. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, good night (laughs) that milo goes to college records i'm sure you get asked about it all the time but i mean there's there's a few albums in the history of of punk and well all music but in the case of punk there's a few records that really stand out as just like the right record at the right time with the right songs the right cover just like capturing the zeitgeist of what was going on at that point in time and Milo is definitely one of those albums. I wanted to ask you, Bill, when you're making an album like that, are you even remotely aware of what you're tapping into and how special what you're making is and how long it's going to last and continue to infect and inspire or affect, I should say, and inspire people? Like, did you know you were onto something special at the time? 
I would answer that with like a big, huge yes, but also an even bigger, huge no. And what I mean is we, we were doing it completely for us, for ourselves only. We didn't even know, you know, what was involved in releasing a record. It was, you know, Mike Watt had just told us, hey, I can, I can put your guys' records out if you record them. And so, you know, we would borrow money from my dad and go in and try to record. But, I mean, the idea that, the idea that more than like 200 people would ever hear it, that was not an idea that was in our head. We just thought, well, we're doing this because we love it. And that was it. You know, but, but that, that being said, we loved it so much. And in our little dumb, naive hearts, we thought that we were the best band in the whole world. And that what we were doing was the coolest thing that anyone had ever done in the whole world. But that was just kind of like our little dream that we had. We never, we never thought anyone would ever agree with us. And, or certainly we never thought that, you know, thousands of people would, would hear us and that kind of thing. Yeah. Never, never even crossed our minds. That's why even we do some of, I mean, some of those early songs, like on the fatty P they're just, they're just like, okay, well, we're going to go get some fast food. Oh, let's make a song about how we, how we get fast food. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, it was only for us, only for us and our amusement. Isn't it wild how, because for me, there's a massive leap sonically and in terms of just the arrangements and everything from the fat EP to Milo goes to college and, you know, songs like my age, bike age, Gene is dead, suburban home. It's just so many great, great songs on there. Did you feel yourselves as songwriters making huge advancements and evolving really fast and, and just getting good? Did you feel that happening at the, at the time as well? Or was that again, you uh, were just enjoying it and having fun? Well, the chronology is is a little bit convoluted. Um, Fatty P was more like a a, a side trip. Um, what we what we we were playing, and, and I mean, we had all those songs or most of them that are on my legacy college. We had all those when we when we recorded the Fatty P, but we just, we just, um, I don't know. When we recorded the Fatty P, it was weird. I was commercial fishing at the time and drinking all those crazy, those bonus cups. And Frank was <laughs> taking speed and because we had to fish all night. And it was like the Fatty P was this little moment in time where we were just playing as fast and as reckless as we could. And our buddy Pat told us to not have so many songs about girls. We should write a song about going to Wiener Schnitzel, and we should, you know, this kind of thing. And so it was the Fatty P was like this little stopgap moment in time. But but what we what we sounded like six months before the Fatty P, and also six months after the Fatty P, is Milo goes to college. Like Milo goes to college is what we mainly sounded like. When he said he was going to go off to college, was there any? disappointment in in the camp like oh man we've just made this amazing thing and now you're going to leave or were you always understanding of you know his desire to go and be that guy and do that as well as as make music 
was it always like this is the way it is and we accept it and understand it and that's totally cool or was it a little bit more yeah, difficult? Yeah, we never, we never really, we never really questioned the decision because Milo is nothing if not a scientist. That is what he is first and foremost. And so, it, you know, it would be weird if he didn't pursue that, that you know, pursue the science. It would be strange if he did not do that. It would be unnatural. It's lovely how supportive and just amazingly encouraging and sweet he is about all in, in the Descendants documentary. And he's like, you know, this is the most amazing stuff. Why don't more people appreciate this? And I think it's lovely that you've both managed to do exactly what you want in terms of your, your own respective lanes and careers, but then you get to come together as well and do Descendants. And I mean, after all these years, is Milo what's still one of your closest friends and is that a friendship that you know you cherish and and hold dear milo milo is my best friend in the whole world um i i i value his friendship more than almost any anything in the world and uh he has he has been a i might get a little sentimental here but it, i mean i'm just telling it like it is he has been a better friend to me than I have to him. He has stuck by me through some just horrible phases of my life, changes of my personality, um, decisions that I've made, attitudes that I've taken, uh, horrible bouts with sadness that I have had. He, he stuck with me through all of that and was nothing but loving and caring. And, and that's when we were young. I, I even, but even recently, I, I had a bout with sadness and I started kind of maybe drinking a bit too much and I was just very sad all the time. And he wrote that beautiful song called Smile on the new record. I love that me. song. That's a beautiful, and beautiful he, song. And that, I'm saying that you don't, you don't know. I mean, to have a friend like Milo, is, it just makes, it makes life worth living. That's that's all I could say about it. I love him more. I love him so much. There's no way I can even explain it. Does it and there's nothing to do with the band. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that song was about your friendship. Obviously, that's the beauty of a great song, isn't it? As I just assumed it was a love song about a girl and somebody singing about their partner. But you know, I guess you guys are partners, aren't you? Your creative partners, your your life partners, in a sense that you've well, you've spent the majority of your life creating and, and living and, and and sharing experiences with each other. I didn't realize that song was about that. That's amazing. That's made me love it even more. Oh, man. If, if, I just, I, I just, ah, uh, it's so, it's, he, Milo's just, he's the best friend anyone could ever want. That's it. I mean. Yeah, well, we, we all need a Milo in our life, don't we, Bill? I certainly do. <laughs> I have, he has, he has picked me up when I was disheveled and in pieces so many times, it is, it is not even funny. I can't say, I can't say that I've done the same for him, but maybe only once or twice, maybe two times in his life, I was kind of there to, to elevate him when he needed it. But it's mainly been the other way around where he, he really bailed me out of a bad uh, state of mind. 
even wrote that song "Come Back Kid." You know, he wrote that like the very the day I got out of my brain surgery. Well, what I loved in the documentary is when he's talking about you know you coming out of that health scare, and he was like, "Right, there's big bills mounting up for Bill. Better get the band back together and go out and play some shows." And again, what a beautiful move on his part. And I guess since then, it's made all of you appreciate. Am I right in thinking that it's made all of you appreciate playing together that much more? Well, it certainly has with respect to Descendants and Milo, but you know, the thing is all never really stopped. Yeah. So, you know, Carl and Stefan and I, we just went and went and went and went and went and with, with no real, with no real success. Like we were just still sleeping in our practice room. <laughs> So I guess the happy the happy ending is that we finally finally uh, got to a point where we could make a living from the music, which you know that that was never the case until 2010. Carl and Stefan as well with the last album. I noticed that a lot of the songs on there were written by those two. A lot of them, and they they always are though. They always are. There's just, I mean, when you've got four great songwriters in a band, you're in a pretty strong position, aren't you? I love that last record. So what's um, your expectations in terms of release for, for this one you're working on now? Do you hope to have that out next year? Yeah, I, I think since, since touring isn't really a thing right now, yeah, we might kind of slip this, this Frank and Tony one out maybe a few months from now because we can't really tour on it. Well, you know, Frank deceased and yeah. and and you maybe and then maybe have the 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 new new one the new with the current lineup maybe have that one i i don't know eight 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 nine months from now something like that i'm really just guessing because <laughs> you know the big hold up with the new new one is i've become too critical of myself and i can't seem to finish songs or like I'm constantly changing them. It's like, it's like my OCD has finally got the best of me and I can't be happy with anything that I do song wise. So I just keep fussing over my songs. So the guys are like, come on, dude, get your songs. They've all got their songs. Go well, Carl. Carl's still kind of getting some of his together, but I, I, I just, uh, God, sometimes I hate myself, you know? Do you apply that kind of a, a approach to when you're producing other bands in terms of trying to refine and get the best song you, you're working towards? Or is it something you can yeah. only, only apply to yourself? <laughs> no, no, no. I totally apply it to producing. That's kind of the nature of the gig. But it might be, yeah, it might be the producing that has kind of ruined me. It's like, my, it's like nothing, is, nothing is ever good enough for me. And I kind of hate it. Yeah, I guess it sounds like it's kind of it becomes more like work than play, right? And you're not just lost in the moment, having fun, writing and and jamming and. Well, no, I mean when I get lost in the moment, if I can get lost in the moment, those those portions because that's usually like I'll have one of those, I have one of those uh, premonitions or dreams kind of subconscious stuff that'll usually be like a whole song chorus, lyrics, melody, chords, everything in my head, boom. Like a finished record in my head, but only a chorus. 
those things are pure because I know they're pure because they were subconscious. I didn't think about them. I didn't, I didn't work for them. They just came. And those I don't, those I don't second guess because they came from the subconscious. Therefore, like they are pure and they are real. But then say, okay, I got the chorus. Now I got to get the verse. Well, what do I do? Write the verse? No, I can't write the verse. I have to wait for one of those, those things, those dreams, those things that I get. Those like, they're not visions. I don't know what they are. I've never been able to explain it to anyone. But so I have to have, it's like they have to be those kind of songs or else I think that they're false. Where do you think creativity comes from, Bill? Do you think it is a form of magic and it's something yes. that is uncontrollable? I do for me. I do for me. I know there are people who can sit down with a guitar and kind of plink away at something. And, hey, that sounds like a nice riff. Oh, okay. I'll write some lyrics. I, I've never done that once in my life. Never. My thing's always, it's usually in the morning. As soon as I wake up, it's like, oh, shit. Fuck the song. Quick, write it down or quick record it onto my phone. Like I have no, I have zero control over it. I, I know even as I say that, I know it sounds cheesy or like I'm making it up to make it seem mysterious. But no, I don't have any control over it and I never have. It's just, the song is just kind of, it's almost like I'm just a conduit for the song to come out of the universe. What but about? Sometimes I don't get the whole song. I just get the choruses. Sometimes I wish I could just, put out only the part that came as a dream <laughs> and not have the whole like okay so here i'll tell you so, so you know the song without love of course that's my favorite song off the last album i love it all right so here's here's this is the story of bill's songwriting so i had like the premonition of without love the chorus the chorus of it yep in 2006 right and I and I sat on it going, well, okay, there's the chorus, but there's no verse and there's no bridge or anything. And I sat on it and I sat on it and I sat on it. And one day I said, well, fuck, this is like probably my best chorus I've ever written. It's so good. I, I can't let it go to waste. So I sent just the chorus all finished, guitars, bass, drums, vocals. I sent it to Stefan and I go, here you go, Stefan. This is just another one of my songs that's not ever going to get released and he wrote he wrote music for verse and music for bridge because i had the music for the intro the music from the intro is like a variation on the music for the chorus they're kind of similar and so he wrote a verse and a bridge just the music you know and he sent it back to me and i go oh okay now i see i sort of see what the song can be and then i wrote the lyrics for the verses and the bridge and then we had a song but it, i would have never ever finished it ever and i could i have hundreds of songs like that teamwork that is bill and, and thank god for it because that that is my favorite song on the last album it's so good that chorus is so huge and what a frustrating position to be in to have that and know that it's great but not have the other parts to put it together i sat on it for 10 years <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> hey, listen, Bill, do you believe in God? Are you a spiritual person? Uh, I don't believe in God. Like, 
some God, I guess I, I would say I'm very spiritual, but I, I believe in sort of, maybe I just think that what we call God, I think that's just the universe. And, uh, I guess if I had to say what I am, I'm maybe like a Buddhist, but without the Buddha. <laughs> You definitely think there's something going on, though. There's there's more to life than this. There's a higher power of some sort. I, I don't know. I think there's energy, I guess I could say. And I don't know about more to life. I don't know about afterlife or any of that stuff. Obviously, nobody knows about that. But but I, I just think there's not a God like the way, there's certainly not like Christ and God and all that shit. But, but there's, I feel like there's some kind of thing. I'm just going to call it the universe energy. When you're obviously in the positions that you've been in over the last few years, dealing with these health things, do you get to thinking about life a lot and the nature of it and the meaning of it and, and why we're, why we're here and those kind of deep, heavy, unexplainable topics. Did you do much thinking about any of that? Yeah. And, but, but more is I've done done a lot of just reading about it to try to learn more about different angles of it. Um, I think one of the things that really helped me get to this kind of nice spot I'm sitting in right now is actually the book Siddhartha. The book what? Sorry, what's it called? Siddhartha. Right. I'll have to check that out. I haven't read that. And it's my favorite book ever. And it kind of, I read it in high school, but I was obviously too young and immature to get anything out of it. Uh, that book, and then I, I read another book several years ago that had, yeah, just a, a huge impact on me. And it's, it's a book by an author called Jed McKenna. The book is very sarcastically titled. It's called Spiritual Enlightenment, The Damnedest Thing. <laughs> so it's like you can't let the title of the book fool you because it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Well, I think humor is such an important part of it all as well. Like as, as wise as we can try to be and strive to be, I think that a sense of humor and uh, a sense of the absurd, I think that can get you through some of the, the weirdest and the strangest and the hardest times as well. Like for me, it's been such a, a key thing with my struggles in life when I've been going through hard times. And obviously, you know, a band like Descendants is a band that comedy and humor is such a an integral part of that as well, isn't it? What's been the role of, of comedy and a sense of humor in your life, Bill, in terms of keeping you happy and sane? I've always enjoyed, I've always enjoyed comic relief, but, uh, but it's easy for me to get, to get too serious. I, I tend to get too serious. I, I just tend to, I don't like it in, in myself. I can sometimes be the, you know, the stick in the mud. <laughs> yeah. We have an expression, we call it a party pooper. Yeah. You know, like a Scrooge or a Grinch. I can sometimes be that way, but I sure try not to be. I try my best. I don't want to be that. But, the, but yeah, like those two books I mentioned, those probably had a bigger impact on me 
than anything in my life ever other than, you know, having a family and, you know, wife and kids. Wow. Obviously that, obviously that stuff is very life changing, but these two books had a, they, they affected me more than anything other than having a family and kids. Well, I'm definitely going to check them out now then, if they've been that important to you. Um, Bill, could we have a little trip down Black Flag Lane? Would you mind? Sure. I'd love to know, obviously you were kind of sharing a rehearsal space and, and that was sort of how the, the relationships there begin. But I'd love to know just the dynamic really and the personalities of yourself, Henry and Greg, when you're working on My War together, just the kind of, I don't know, the atmosphere and the mood and the, the relationships and, and the, crea- the creation really of that album in 1984 and what sort of memories really come to mind when you think back to making that record with Henry and Greg and, and your relationship with those two guys at that point in time? Well, when I was in Black Flag, I was straddling kind of between two, two identities. There was the identity. I, I mean, I had, I had a, a certain kind of relationship with Henry. Uh, we had our things that we had in common. And then I had a, a certain kind of relationship with, with Greg, and we had our things that we had in common. But Henry, you know, he, Henry's a very humorous guy. He, he has a great sense of humor and a sharp wit. And a lot of times he and I would be joking around. We'd be joking around about something we heard or whatever. And then with Greg and I, it was a more serious relationship that was just strictly about music like we always were just we were on this never-ending musical discussion uh and then but then henry and greg they didn't have a great relationship so it wasn't like three best friends hanging out you know yeah yeah uh i was very close with greg for for many years maybe four years i guess and I was very close with Henry for about three years. Um, cause I, you know, I knew Greg, obviously Henry came into our town, you know, later. Uh, so I had been close with Greg, you know, before already. Uh, and, um, but, so, but then at another side of it, that, so that's kind of on the personal level, but then on the band member level, I was really just this dumb, naive kid that was, you know, how do you say, you know, just to be here? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I was, it's weird. I was maybe a little bit in awe or starstruck by, by those guys because even though, like, you know, that, I mean, Greg's parents' house and my parents' house, it's like 80 yards from each other. Wow. I mean, we, you know, we, but I just, I was really in awe of Greg's uh, talent. And, and then when Henry came to, I was really impressed with just the, the level of intensity that he brought into the band. He made the band very, very serious. Yep. Uh, and I was, you know, I was really impressed by all that. And I saw myself as maybe kind of a babe in the woods, kind of a, uh, 
you know, that thing, Black Flag wasn't my band the way that with Descendants and all, I feel like I was, you know, I'm one of the founders, one of the, one of the main songwriters, one of the main contributors, like we all are, it's our band, but with Black Flag, I mean, Black Flag was Greg's band and, and like, I just kind of lived in it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It was a weird time for that band as well, obviously, because that record, I think, definitely polarized people, didn't it, at that time? And they were obviously experimenting and slowing things down, and they were definitely at a crossroads in their sound, and that's right when you came in. Um, what was kind of the mood like when you were in the studio or on tour, indeed, with those dudes? Was it fun? Was it a good time? Or was it kind of tense and a bit fraught and as you say, just hard music. So you just kind of getting in, smashing it out, and then getting out of there. Well, the, the, well, well, there's one thing about my war that is that we had a very strange thing happen just right during the month before we recorded it, which is our practice place was in a, a pretty like mixed neighborhood in Long Beach. And I don't want to make this story too long, but basically we, our practice room, it kind of faced this park, a big park. And sometimes we just leave the door open and we practice so people in the park could hear or if they wanted to come in and watch. We, we were trying to, I don't know, just promote an open thing. And we had a big show coming up. And so we had our poster on the door and we thought, hey, let's get some of these just random people from the park. Let's get them to come to the show. We'll put them on the guest list. And so we had this flyer on the door of our practice room, you know, and it said, you know, black flag, right? And so I don't know how this happened, but uh, this supreme white power people thought that we were like a black 
movement, black black people movement thing. Right. Because of the name because yeah, of yeah. the name Black Flag. I mean that's how stupid they are. They don't even know Black Flag is like the symbol for anarchy. But but so they they tried to kill us. I mean they tried to run us over in their cars and I don't I don't mean a little bit. I mean they came up onto the sidewalk and me and Greg had to climb up onto this fence real quick and then they drove by under us. And and they kept saying that. They said SWP and then some number after it, like SWP six seven three four. S and we found out later SWP means Supreme White Power. So they were trying to kill us. And then when we weren't at practice one day, they broke into the practice room and they stole a bunch of our shit. So, so for the last several practices that we did before we recorded my war, we, we did what I called armed practice. I had my fishing buddy, Pat, outside the practice room with a 30-30, with a fucking gun. So we could practice, and so I think I do think that that added to the tenseness of the record uh, in some small way, but n- not in a great way. But it just it it seemed almost perfect fitting for such a just dark album, you know. What an amazing story, Bill! I love that. That's an intense situation, we, isn't it? Yeah, and then the night before we recorded, I think if I mean if my memory is serving me. I, me, me and Pat went down there in Mugger, I think, in the middle of the night and kind of cleared out all of our stuff and just we just abandoned it and never went back there again because we were afraid for our lives. We, and it's really sad, though, because a lot of the black people and the Mexican people in the park, they would come by and listen to us. I mean, that, we, lo- we loved that area. We loved it because it was so diverse. And it wasn't just white punk rockers. It was all kinds of random people that didn't even know what punk rock was. But obviously our little utopian thing of having them all come to the show and we put it on the guest list. Obviously the <laughs> these supreme white power people, they weren't ready for that. That's wild. I mean, I guess there was a lot of violence and racism at that time as well like as much as the scene was inclusive and punk was was great for you know the minorities and fringe characters and freaks and weirdos i guess as it became more popular as you were alluding to earlier it was a little bit infiltrated by these kind of neo-nazi skinhead type thugs how did they take but this, to but this, this but just to be clear this had nothing to do with the punk rock scene yeah 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 no one in that park even knew what punk rock was what I was going to say is kind of what was the what was within the punk community when you had these kind of skinheads and stuff turning up to Black Flag shows, what was their reaction to Henry and indeed Henry to them? Was there, was there any moments that were just like particularly powerful of the way he dealt with certain things on stage or incidences that went down or just him as a front man in the way that he commanded a crowd? And Well, starting in... Uh... 83 we went to europe in the late winter early spring of 83 starting then i I don't know what caused this but we kept having to to sort of fight the audience i don't know why but they would try to beat us up or they throw big chairs at us 
I don't really know why. I don't see how that could be about hair length, but how stupid would that be? But but I don't know. The the Orthodox punkers at that point they were they're were pretty conservative. That's kind of what I mean. Like the 79, 78, 79 punk scene was more artists and weirdos, and there wasn't a lot of like floating around testosterone. But it changed. It changed starting in like eighty one. And yeah, by 83, there was a lot of, I don't know, man, a lot of weird conservative people, I guess. And so we'd end up getting beat up or we'd have to run out, you know, because God, I mean, I remember we in Stevenage, England, we got, they were throwing the metal folding chairs up on the stage and we, fuck, I mean, we just put our shit down and ran out the back door and I jumped into a dumpster. A crash dumpster. Because I, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I remember on that same tour, or no, this was in 1984. It was at Leeds, the Leeds Festival. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was, I always take my traditional nap after sound check. I go in the van and I, I sleep after sound check. And I was waking up after, from my nap in the van to, uh, to, you know, go in and find some coffee and get ready to get ready to play. And I stepped out of the van. I mean, I'm scratching my hair, scratching my balls, like, you know, putting my pants belt on, pulling up my pants. And I start getting whipped but with like a punker spiky belt by these guys. They're whipping me. And I was like, fuck, I'm not even awake yet. Could you let me wake up first before you do whatever you're trying to do and i kind of just cowered away from them hobbled away from them but then it was it was around that time when i remember we got home from one of those tours like we got home from one of those tours and henry goes billy billy meet me in the park tomorrow down in hermosa beach meet me in the park we're gonna start exercising and I go, oh, yeah. I go, okay. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's just never going to happen again. And that's when Henry went from being this, like, kind of little scrawny dude to being all gnarly. We got we got really strong because he said the next time when we go back out on tour, the first person that comes up stage, I am going to knock them out. And no one is going to fuck with us while we're trying to play our music anymore. It's like all we wanted to do was play, but they wouldn't let us play. They would, they would spit on us and try to burn. They would burn Henry's cigarettes and, and cut him and, and, and throw chairs at us. And, 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 and uh, so that, that sure enough, the next time we went on tour, we didn't even, I didn't even get through my drum roll thing on Nervous Breakdown. I didn't even get through the drum roll. Somebody came up and, pushed Henry and he just took him out. He knocked him out. And it's like, nope, this is our show and we're not gonna allow you guys to beat us up anymore. And then from then I think people kind of quit quit bothering us so much because they knew we were we were gonna defend ourselves. That's wild. So you saw that transition firsthand, as you say, from the kind of more skinny, scrawny young kid to like, you know, that kind of ripped tough man that he's now obviously known well, it, it, as being it, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it hardened all of us. It hardened all of us. I don't know what I did. I think I grew a beard or something. I just wanted people to leave us alone. Yeah, that makes sense. What about the music, Bill, from that time? Did you enjoy playing those kind of, you know, sort of free jazz noise jams that some of the, I mean, the Family Man record, there's some pretty wild stuff on there, the instrumental stuff. Did you have fun doing all that stuff? I, was that a bit of you musically? I did, or? I did have fun with it, and I I appreciate what it all was, and I, I really appreciate what we were sort of trying to do, what uh, just trying to, to 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 basically to aspire to more than what we inherited musically. Yeah, and I believe in all that, but I don't. I can't say that a ton of it was real successful. There's some things I think were really successful, like Swinging Man. I think is great. Uh, my War, the song is I think is great. Nothing Left Inside is one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of. Uh, so I think it was hit and miss with those family man things. You know, we were listening to a lot of Mob East New Orchestra, obviously, and King Crimson. And it, it, you know, it shows anybody that knows anything about music knows we're just ripping off King Crimson and Mob East New. <laughs> Maybe a little Charlie Parker thrown in there. Maybe a little Ornette Coleman thrown in there, you know, certainly. But, but, um, I don't know how successful those were, but it's kind of like I I like the fact that we were doing it, but I'm not sure how well we did it. Yeah, I guess as well. Even like the slip it in cover can't have helped. <laughs> but you know, I mean, those records are really interesting because there's obviously all the spoken word bits as well, and you know, Henry's coming out with some pretty wild stuff in some of those. Yeah, yeah, I. In general, I think Family Man's a pretty cool record. I like the instrumental stuff okay, and I like the spoken stuff a lot. And I just like the context of it, of kind of taking a taking a rock band and sort of dissecting it a little bit. And, and also, I like the kind of democratic nature of it, of like, well, we're doing this instrumental stuff, but we're a band. Well, where does that leave Henry? Well, let's do spoken stuff too. Like, you know, it just—it just—it seemed like the right thing at the time. Are you still in touch with Henry or Greg? Were they relationships that would stay close over the years, or did you lose touch a little bit after you left the band? Well, in Henry's case, yeah, Henry and I—Henry and I'll email every once in a while. I think. You know, you drift apart over the years, but I mean, if I saw Henry, it would be all good times, and we'd be joking around just like always. Uh, in the case of Greg, you know, he, he he Greg chose to alienate all of us, you know. Yeah. And so, I mean, I could speak for, I think I can speak for every person that has ever been in Black Flag. That that yeah, none of us are friends with him anymore. No. But, but but conversely, I I am still friends with every single person that I've ever been in a band with. Every person. Uh, you know, Dez, Ron, I even Robo, Robo, I love Robo. Uh, even you know, uh, everyone, everyone. You, all, you know, Doug from Defendants and Ray, Dave Smalley from All, Scott Reynolds, Chad Price. 
I, I'm friends with every single person I've ever been in a band with, except for Greg Ginn. Why, why do you think it was that he went down that road, Bill, and, and did alienate everybody in the way that he did? What do you think it was that inspired him to do I, that? I you know, honestly, I can't speculate and I don't really care to. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a sad thing because yeah. I considered him a friend at once. And it's just a sad thing. And I, I wouldn't want to start trying to analyze him or. Uh, you know, the next thing you know, he'd sue me or something. <laughs> I, 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 I just rather, I don't, I, I honestly don't know what happened. I talked to the guys about it and none of us, none of us really know what happened. Is Keith Morris still a pal of yours? I've known Keith since I was eight fucking years old. <laughs> I, you know what Keith is? He's my oldest friend. He's my longest friend. Wow. Yeah, no, Keith and I are very close. We played, uh, what was it last year? We played one flag show. That was fun. Yeah, no, we're all close. In fact, you know, Des called me while I've been on the phone with you. Oh, wow. But yeah, no, no <laughs> we're all very close. Yeah, we're all very close. And Chuck, Chuck, who I was only a little bit close with Chuck when I was back in the Black Flag days. Uh, I'm really close to Chuck now. I consider Chuck to be one of my most cherished friends. Yeah, he seems like a sweet guy. I've never met him, but in all the interviews that I've seen him do, and he seems like a sweet dude. I mean, all you guys do, really, to be honest. I think that's kind of, again, it goes back to that punk sense of community without over-romanticizing it. For me, it's, if you're in this thing for life, you know, unless you get super, super lucky like a Green Day and you strike out and you become a millionaire, I think most people who are in it for life are in it out of the love, right? Yeah, and I with Chuck, I just I've grown closer and closer to him. I love him so much, and I also I'm just so envious of the way his mind works. He's one of the he's just one of the smartest people I've ever met. I don't know, but I don't know a more graceful way of saying that. What's left for you then, Bill? Is there anything you'd still like to do? You've obviously done so much, and it's been an amazing story so far is there anything left on your list of either musical or just personal adventures or accomplishments that you'd still like to try and do or are you happy with everything you've done are you content i'm extremely content but i am i do want to get these songs finished it's like in my head you know in my head it's like it's like it's it's like Cole Porter and the Germs all at the same time. Wow! But of course, that, <laughs> of course you can't. Cole Porter and the Germs and Ornette Coleman and, and the Ramones all together. But of course, that's impossible. But that I, I want to get these songs finished. I think I think I'm going to do something really cool. I want to. I don't. That's the thing. I don't really want to just do what I've already done. Play the surf beat, whatever. I, I mean, that's fine. But I, for live, like I'm hoping I can write some songs that'll add. Or that'll add a dimension to the life that isn't already there. You know, varying rhythms and varying beats. We play a long time. We play an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, hour and a half. I want, I want to play more beats, more different kinds of rhythms during that time. Yeah, that makes sense. You got to keep it interesting. That'll make it, that'll make it even funner. You know. Well, listen, Bill, um, I'm going to let you go. I want to say a big thank you for giving up your time. I've really, really enjoyed this. Thank you, and I, and I, I apologize for 
maybe having been difficult to reach or for seeming seeming to be uh, aloof or unavailable. It's just strictly a series of coincidences. Not at all. No, I'm grateful for the time. And uh, yeah, don't 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 feel any need to apologize. I'm glad we got to do it. And um, I, I really look forward to, you know, whatever project you're in, whether it is Descendants, whether it's All, whether it's Flag, whatever's going on. I want to see you behind that kit again soon. And I hope <laughs> I hope I get to do it. I hope you get to do it as well. I hope we all get to do it. I mean, it's been it's been a, a slow, long year, hasn't it? And I think everybody who is involved in music everywhere is itching to get back out and play. And hopefully we can all do that soon. Yeah, it'll be fun. I got used to, you know, traveling so much all the time. I kind of I kind of have a, what do they call it, wander, wanderlust? I yeah. Think I, I think I'll probably always have that. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing some traveling next year, if plague permitting. <laughs> what is, just as the final question before we say goodbye, Bill, what has been the best thing about being you? Uh, in your life being? What's the best thing about being Bill Stevenson today in, in 2020? What do you feel the most grateful for and appreciative of? That I finally figured out how to be happy and not to be bitter and resentful and disgruntled all the time. Love it. And what could you say to anybody who is struggling with that? What would be your piece of advice that you've learned? Maybe read Siddhartha and then and then read that Jed McKenna book, uh, The Spiritual Enlightenment, The Damnedest Thing. Amazing. I know that sounds stupid. Oh yeah, self help book. Fuck that. I mean, but I'm just saying that's what that's what helped me. Well, listen, Bill. Would you text me the names of them, and then I'll put them in the the link to the episode when I get this podcast live. That would be good. I sure will. Lovely stuff, um, Bill. Thanks so much again, man, and and all the best. And I hope to see you in 2021 at a show somewhere. This has been great yeah, fun. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And we'll talk soon, my friend. I'll get you a link okay. and stuff when it's up. And, and yeah, thanks a lot again, Bill. Really, really enjoyed that. Okay, see ya. See you, bud. Another day goes by. We can't live like this anymore. Can't live without love. Our final chance to try. We can't live like this anymore. Can't live without love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.